So Helen, thank you so much for joining us today. And I just wanted to welcome you to the first episode of How Public Works, which is a podcast about municipal planning and how we live in our communities and just helping communities connect better with the work that we do in the world around municipal um, infrastructure and our services. And welcome. And I want to ask you if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do with Lost Rivers. So so I guess maybe I, I just can start with a story about how this all began. Um, there's a, an even longer backstory about how I even discovered that there was such a thing as a lost river in the city. <laughs> um, but I, I'm going to start with an experience in 1994 uh, when I was busy buying chi-chi food at Pusateri's in <laughs> Toronto, which people in Toronto mostly know. Um, and as I was leaving, I saw a very hokey little green poster on the door. It said, the greening of North Toronto, come to a community meeting, tell us your dreams about your neighborhood. And um, I stopped, I turned around three times, I said, that's for me. I actually made a special trip back with a pencil to take down the details and showed up on a bitterly cold February night to discover that there were 70 people in the room. Um, The meeting was actually facilitated by Kathleen Wynne long before she became a politician. And I got into a group talking about water. Um, One of the people in the group worked for TRCA, or Toronto Region Conservation Authority, and handed me a thing called 40 Steps to a New Dawn. Uh, I flipped through and I caught the vision statement about um, walking beside a beautiful, clean river with sparkling water and fish jumping and birds singing by the side of the river. And I knew the dawn. And I just basically, I thought to myself, these people are out of their minds. (laughs) They think they can fix the dawn. I want to work with them. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it was just like, this is amazing. This is incredible. It sounds like a life changing, life changing. Well, you know, they're stating a very powerful intention. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was a piece of the meeting uh, that was very hope giving. And then the other piece of the meeting is that I knew that we were sitting on a lost river in that meeting. Um, Mm. Something that I had discovered by going back to school and taking physical geography. And I did a lab and found out about these rivers. So I said, you know, I think we're sitting on a buried river and we should figure out where our neighborhood buried rivers are. And the Toronto Green community basically said, okay, and handed me a license to carry out my dreams, which had been brewing in my back burner for 10 years. And I had actually had the idea of doing an environmental art project where we would do blue lines on the road and up over the buildings and down the other side and label the creeks and bring them back to the surface of people's awareness. But what actually happened is that it turned into 
a community-based discovery and mapping project uh, where we went on walks and began to really, really deeply learn the landscape. And so yeah. August of 1994 is the actual first day that we had a walk, although officially wow. the green community, I think, has a starting date of 95. There was all this back work going on. And so, so this is a group that you, this is a group of people that you sort of pulled together through this conversations and said, let's, we found this lost river. Now we're going to walk it. This is how it came about. Basically. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the green community had a vast network of connections, including some people who knew a lot about this topic. And so mm -hmm. it was, that's an example of how they facilitated making this thing possible. Uh, and yeah, so we just started walking and formed a partnership with the Toronto Field Naturalists. And to my great amazement, on our very first walk, which was August 16th of 1994, there were 35 people. Wow. And they've just never stopped coming. We never really know where they come from, but they come. <laughs> Well, and this, I think, is what makes this so interesting, because until you actually find the resource, find the information, like find the fact that this is here, um, you know, people may not even know the value that's literally right under their feet. Right? Yeah, or that, you know, they've probably had visceral bodily experiences of, oh, this is a valley, or, oh, this is a hill, or, you know, my park has this really weird shape. It's a sort of squared off sunken park with a baseball field in the bottom. But this is an odd mm -hmm. topography. And you maybe you don't think about it, but some little wave of awareness about your body is saying, huh? What is this? Well, you know? Well, and that's interesting that you, yeah, you write that in the... Um yeah. On the website, there's some information around that, and and it's true. You you walk down, and it's why is this a dead end street, or why, you know, why is this odd curve here? And it's it is so true that we often don't even realize that there's physical barriers that you know that planners have worked around, and then eventually through or over, I guess, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting to me when I look at the um, the site and and you pointed out the one the one um, page that has the disappearing rivers and showing the entire watershed, I guess back from the 1800s and how that's really just I guess been covered up and rechanneled and piped away. With that knowledge now, have you been able to really build further understanding and and sort of um, you know like with with what's on the website now? Is there a lot of a lot of learned, you know, learned history around that. I know you have other people working with you on this. What's what's that about? What's that story about the history of the city and what's happened? I guess I I see this as a whole. You know, I think that there wasn't mm. a date when everything was nature and pristine, but rather that there's been a long process of interaction between people and the quote-unquote natural world starting a long time before the last 200 years when the British landed 
So there's a 200 years before that when the French and the indigenous peoples were tra trading, and then about somewhere between 12 and 15,000 years from today, when there's been uh, indigenous people living on the land and again making their imprint in in very very different ways that we can understand as being a lot more ecologically um, friendly, for sure, mm -hmm. much more integrated. Uh, so all of those bits of history that come mm -hmm. up on the website, you know, lots of historic mm -hmm. houses and bits of information about sewers or bits of information about geology, they're all about the fabric of the landscape. And mm. underlying that is the idea that every single part of the landscape is as much a part of the water system as the river, which is the blue line on the map that you see. But that right. in reality, everything about that river, the river is a visible piece of a life support system that has to do with water and the way that the water is working in that whole system, above ground, in the sky above us, in the plants and the animals and the people. The water is everywhere, constantly cycling. And so I don't really see that built landscape as separate. In some way, it's very much, it is the watershed that we've created. And it is the watershed that is for the river as if we look at it just as a natural ecosystem, using that as a benchmark, it is actually the mm -hmm. thing that has created a lot of problems for the river. Um, yeah. Well, it's interesting too because in you know in earlier conversations, you know you you talk about the you know the impact and your experience with the you know saving the dawn, and we have we have a huge impact as as society as you know as planners and engineers and people trying to create you know communities. Often that this work you know especially back two hundred years ago. I mean the focus obviously was you know, public safety and convenience and, and, you know, building the network and the, and the community that was going to be able to sustain, sustain itself in an economical way. Yeah. Really not a lot of consideration with the natural environment because I guess the idea was there was just so much of it, right? It, it really wasn't something to preserve here when you go north of Steeles and you've got tons of it just, you know, outside your door. But that changed over time. That changes over time, doesn't it? Well, yeah, you know, I, I certainly grew up in that mindset that nature, Mother Earth, was kind of infinitely large. And the idea that there would be so many people and so much technology and so much fuel-driven technology and power to alter the landscape, that we would alter the very systems of that Earth was just mm -hmm. not anywhere in in my horizons as a kid, for sure, you know. Like I had a sense of safety about the earth, which I think started to get shaken mm -hmm. around the age of 15. So I began to learn more. But I think there was that feeling that 
A, well, nature was ours to mess with, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and B, yeah. that there was enough there that a little bit of a mess here wouldn't really matter. I mean, I think the 50s and the 60s were a time of, um, you know, great technological dreams and space age and technology could do no wrong, right? Yeah. Right, man. Maybe, yeah, we can create the world we want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In spite of nature, and 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 what do you see now? I mean, as as you've come, you know, full circle. As you know, much of society has come full circle around that awareness that we are not separate from nature and we're not separate from our environment. You know what? Um, you know, like what are you hearing from those that participate in the walks or those that? you know, engage in, in the programs and the in the focus that you're trying to promote so strongly. What is the community saying to you? I th- Well, you know, I think a lot of people just come on the walks on that very simple level of, oh, my God, you mean my house is on a river? Now <laughs> I know where I have a flooded basement. You know, so there's a lot of that sort of moments of recognition about mm. your neighborhood where things fall into place. Right. Um, and a lot of people will identify with their local lost river. And other people, it's just a pleasant walk and, you know, a little bit of history and storytelling and just being walking with friends and other people in a convivial way. Like, uh, you know, I think right. walking is an act, it's so visceral and so basic to who we are as humans you know i have a picture of little groups of people walking ever since ever since we landed out of the trees i guess um (laughs) and so just just walking in the landscape is sometimes enough but there are other people involved in lost rivers who certainly have done some very deep thinking about all this yes and you know some of it, and I'm thinking of Satayesh in particular, um, goes in a visionary direction about trying to reimagine a different future. And just as the sewer system, which now lives in the pathways of the Lost Rivers, um, mm-hmm. was a brilliant futuristic invention in the 1800s and a response to epidemics of typhoid and cholera and the discovery mm-hmm. that those were waterborne diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the visionaries now are asking some really basic questions like, why are we using water to transport human waste? Or mm-hmm. how can we yes. understand our Earth systems and the way they were 200 or 400 years ago in this place and use that as a benchmark to begin to remake the current systems in a way that's a lot more ecologically friendly and uh, sustainable and workable. Um, And, you know, I I think within the green community, uh, some of our other programs, such as Rainscape TO, uh, I see Rainscape TO as a response to the question. It really takes you right down to when you talk about Rainscape and that whole notion of you know individual action as well, right? Yeah, 
That really takes you down. A couple of thoughts that came up when you were talking about the infrastructure and the, you know, the initial purposes. And, you know, with my background in engineering and municipal servicing, um, you know, one of the things that was really interesting to me when I was looking at some of the guided tours and their self-guided tours that are available on the site. And one is the Ash Bridges Bay Watershed Walk, which starts from, from Riverdale Park, from, you know, Danforth area. And literally walks through a big part of the community that I grew up in and really just never appreciating, you know, the history and the sort of the, the you know, the, the milestones over time that have occurred just literally right under my feet when I was a child. So it's, it's really interesting. And as, you know, as you're describing, you know, the, you know, the, the, the early purpose of, of this infrastructure and, you know, how these riverbeds were sort of, you know, essentially used as a foundation of, of our community. But we've, you know, we've, we've really, you know, are, is there a new way to rethink it? And, and do you think that, you know, for planners and architects and engineers of our, of our communities, do you think they would benefit from really understanding what's there now, these new generations of, of our future thinkers? Yeah, I do. And, you know, I've met some pretty incredible visionary engineers, architects, landscape architects, artists, planners, who get it, um, mm. and do have that big perspective, and are working on many different levels and layers, intervening in their own ways. So there's a kind of, I suppose, a giant human creative response to the enormous enormously huge problems that we find ourselves in that gives me great hope you know i i'm just so blown away by it mm -hmm. well the, i think there is you know even thinking in the last you know 30 40 50 years there is an awakening an, an ecological awakening to to you know a pretty broad degree and it's really just how does that energy become harnessed and yeah. You know, do you see the challenges? I mean, what what do you see as those those areas where you know some change can occur and you know you talked about reimagining how we use water, how we, you know, how we service our communities. Do you see opportunities for, you know, for an individual, you know, you mentioned the idea of rainscape and just the awareness of water. Uh, you know, how does how does that direction or how does that area you know, feel for you or, you know, integrate with this, this whole journey. And you, and please talk more about Rainscape because I know that's a huge initiative that you've also started. Yeah. Um, so, so what I love about Rainscape is it's, I finally have answered the question. Yeah. Great. You're out there walking, but what are you actually mm. doing to change the environment? And, you know, mm. when people have asked me that, the bubble over my head is, okay, great, but there's four of us, or however many the number is at any given time, and I don't mm. think that we're going to be able to dig up the Eden Center to get Tattle Creek back. So the question is, what is the response? And, you know, understanding that it's not enough to just daylight a river anyway, because if the entire watershed is, is hard-built material, you're just going to have flash mm -hmm. floods and tear the river apart. Uh, 
right. as, as soup because the brain is functioning differently in that environment. So really, we have to look yeah. at the entire fabric of the watershed. And so what I love about Rainscape is, yeah, it is. It's going into every house, every green space that's available, and finding ways to make it more porous and hold more water and restore the water cycle. And it's something that any individual can do. It's simple. You know, it's... it's with, it is. And with, and with the program that you... And how long has that program been running now? I mean, it's, it's been for quite some time, hasn't it? Well, not really. Uh, you know, we, we kind of did a seat-of-the-pants pilot <laughs> of it without funding for a couple of years. Mm and made some mistakes and did some learning. And then we were very fortunate to win a business plan competition with the Toronto Enterprise Fund. And that was when we began okay. to really get going and uh, finally had a little bit of money to pay staff. And the successes? I mean, I, I, know, I know a bit about the program, but I, I do know I see success in the community. What kind of feedback do you get? What kind of feedback do you get from the clients that you uh, engage with and, and others that might see some of the end results? Well, I, I know that people love their rain gardens. Um, mm. And they love... We did one last year that I happened to pass quite frequently. And it's a particularly okay. beautiful array of gorgeous color covered in bees and butterflies and um it's just you know you can't you can't not love that when it's so beautiful mm -hmm. so it's a it's, it's a major asset for somebody who has a home and gets this beautiful thing in their lives and you know they find themselves being entertained by butterflies and bees and birds and knowing that in addition to helping the water cycle, they're also benefiting from this beautiful natural system that just, you know, you build it and they come. You put the plants there yeah. and the birds and the bees and the butterflies just find them. And they all have these intricate relationships with different species. So so that part, the clients love. Um I did speak to somebody who's an engineer who's very mm -hmm. committed to green infrastructure, as it's called. Mm -hmm. um, and she asked me a bunch of questions about how many rain gardens we had done. Mm -hmm. And when I answered her, she said, well, you know, that's more than any, any other group that I'm aware of in the city. And I love that. And I, and, although and I how many have how many have you completed? How many? You know what? I can't you know? tell you the updated numbers because I haven't looked in this year's uh, database because I'm less connected to rain now, um, which is great. Um, but I'll 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 get them from Jose, and then we'll be able to tell you. But you know, I know that we've done hundreds and hundreds of of consults, and then. I don't know how many rain gardens, but I, well, think, I think it's a lot. This you know? year, at least, at least fifteen. Just this season, yeah. At least. So at least fifteen. So yeah, you. So even if you have a hundred through the community, yeah. You know, if not more, 
I, I know, and I think it's interesting with that with that program. And you're absolutely right. I mean, you create such a huge connection for the, you know, for that homeowner, for the citizen of our community to really understand that, you know, even though their home is their home, it's actually part of a bigger ecosystem. Yeah. And you can't just put a fence around it and just say, well, this is this is for me, and you take care of yours. At the end, we're really all taking care of each other if we all if we all participate. And it's, I think you know. I think it's an incredibly noble endeavor and and very successful. And do you find people come back after, say, second or third seasons, where they're looking for either other enhancements or or even sharing in other ways with you? Is it is it or is, does it really just become part of their lifestyle? I think a bit of both. You know, some people mm. we go back and do maintenance. Mm-hmm. Um. And sometimes we problem solve. There's sometimes there's problems. Um, other people just seem to just be happy with what they've got, and they get yeah. on with it. You know, on the community building level, I think I'd like to mention Rain Gardens United, which is a different mm. model than we have. And what they did okay. is they got a bunch of neighbors together, and I think they built nine rain gardens the first year. Yeah. Uh, within blocks of each other in this local neighborly in in the Ashbridges Bay watershed and the yeah yeah uh, and some of those gardens are just absolutely beautiful and we did do a walking tour with them and what was really really special was that the the owners of the rain gardens they were all out on their decks and some of them had cookies and 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 uh, coffee for the people on the, yeah. on the tour. And they, they were very proudly telling the story of their rain gardens. And ours are a lot more distributed over a large space. So mm-hmm. we haven't really done a tour just specifically of our gardens for that reason. Um, but there is that beautiful uh, possibility of building community by people yeah. you know, sharing seeds over the fence. Um, sharing plants over the fence, sharing knowledge over the fence, and uh, working as a community. Uh, another thing that we did is we've, we've done a few workshops with little green neighborhood groups, mm-hmm. and those end with a design charrette where the community brainstorms opportunities for rain gardens in their neighborhood. And in the case of one community, they ended up with a rain garden beside a little church uh, on city land. And because it was city land, the city built it, which was probably really good for us because it was a bit of a technical project. And ours, as I said, they're pretty simple. Um, Mm -hmm. This one was more engineering style rain garden. Um, but that's another way that one can engage community is through little local green neighborhood groups, such as the green community neighborhood group where I started my whole life in this world of environment and rivers. Well, and I, you know, and I think you touch on a very important point too, is as much as it's a small, you know, these are small groups establishing small communities or small, you know, small projects. But I think you're right in, in recognizing that the cities and towns that are part of these communities do often want to participate in and support local infrastructure or local improvement or local enhancements. Because, 
I mean, what is municipal government for but just to be there for the community? That's really the mandate of, you know, why we pay taxes, right? So we can do these community events and community, you know, community projects. So I, you know, it sounds like you've been able to crack that nut a little bit too and, and, and connect with and get funding from. I'm assuming funding from is very critical in that success as well. Well, the funding, we don't have any funding from the city. Uh, our funding is actually indirectly through United Way, uh, which is the umbrella for the Toronto Enterprise Fund. Uh, and, and that's the second piece that I was actually going to talk about, which is okay. that I think what's really, really important about RAIN is that it carries the possibility of future financial stability in its structure and that it's okay. actually building itself into a living economy so that mm. there's revenue coming from actually doing landscaping work but changing the way landscaping is done and hopefully right. ultimately influencing the landscape industry. So in that way, I think it's incredibly important that environmentalists have to think God, it's it's really hard to get funding for these nine rain gardens that we did. And, you know, I know that that's true. And mm -hmm. the, the reality is that we're probably shouldn't be sitting around waiting for government to fund these things because those budgets are very stretched, as we all know, but rather to recognize, well, the landscape industry is huge. You know, I think... I can't even give you the numbers. I'll have to look them up and send them to you later, but it's many billions of dollars every year. And, you know, so in what we do with the environment has to become integrated into our daily economy and our daily life and not just be something that is funded. So I see that as social enterprise. Very much so. Well, and I see an interesting uh, opportunity there for that that community. I mean, you, you know, we talked about the planners and architects of society, but then also, you know, the, the landscape architects and those that do the the green space of our communities. I mean, they would hugely benefit from more awareness of both this, you know, this uh, this information around our lost rivers and lost communities, as well as the you know the uh, the greening infrastructure and the yeah and the uh, the landscape work, yeah. These are areas, obviously, that, I mean, you're exciting me when talking about this, because there's obviously a lot we can do, and it's really, how do we move that forward? Like, what is it, what is it that you need to help, you know, carry this message and, 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 you know, garner more energy around, around this, this whole initiative? <laughs> well, I, you know, I often think, oh, just give us money. We'll do great things, you know. Um Specifically, Lost Rivers has always been 100% volunteer. Rainscape, wow. no, and many of the other things that we've done connected to Lost Rivers, like Rivers Rising, um, have been funded. But the, the little core group that does the mapping are Lost River Geeks. And, you know, we meet and we do our research and we meet together. And the glue that keeps us there is our common curiosity and interest uh, and our love of doing the walks and experiencing the world around us. Um, but, you know, there are changes occurring now 
because we're talking about mm -hmm. succession. And there are some mm -hmm. very wonderful people who are working with Lost Rivers who are new, um, mm -hmm. who will be taking it forward in new and amazing ways. Um, and so some of, some of the kinds of volunteer help we need are people who um, have tech and web skills and, and mapping skills uh, because we are trying to take our old website, which is kind of married with the new website in a bit of an uncomfortable way, and yet is mm -hmm. this unbelievably valuable treasure trove of, of information. And I have to mention that the person who created that was Peter Hare, who was one of the founding members of the group. Um, and at the age of 78, bought himself a computer, taught himself wow. HTML, and downloaded the entire group mental encyclopedia. Um, oh and all of that happened in just a few years before he died. Uh, so what a legacy, what a legacy a, he's left. You know, without Peter, we would be nothing in so many ways. And, you know, this information would be still sitting in my head or somebody else's wow. head. And he had this amazing capacity to organize the information and get it all into the computer in a fairly user-friendly way. So it holds a lot of deep information, uh, which is both a blessing and a curse, as I'm sure you can imagine. Well, I've had, I mean, I've had a chance to look at some of the information and it's, it is extensive. And really, I hope, I hope our listeners have an opportunity to, you know, communicate this need because I'm sure there's a lot of passionate young, young, you know, professionals who would love to be part of this kind of a project and just provide, you know, time and expertise to keep this, uh, this work that Peter started alive and, and, and healthy. Yeah. The, the Streamwalker, um, contact on the website will lead eventually to the group. So the, the, the guy who looks after the website will pass on anything that comes through and mm -hmm. will get a hold of you if you want to volunteer in any way. Um, and, you know, there, there's a couple of, I, I think I mentioned fundraising and community contributions. That's something that we do really need to do. And we need those skills. Do you do fundraising events or is that something you want to do more of? Well, you know, I think we need a fundraising strategy. But right now, mm. we do have the ability to accept donations through the Toronto Green Community website. Um, and, you know, we've, we did... Rivers Rising was an interesting project that we did that was funded to bring together the Indigenous community and the newcomer community in the mm. framework of Lost Rivers and community gardens and walking. So the, the idea was that we would investigate the idea of a social enterprise for urban ecotourism, actually, and that okay. people in different communities would make maps of their own neighborhoods and lost rivers and develop tours 
and develop themselves as tour leaders and then ultimately wow. make money doing the tours and that the yeah. money, some of it would go back to the community and some of it would go into the social enterprise. And so that was a way of taking something we knew how to do very well, which is walking tours and mapping, and yeah. putting it out into the community. And of course, you know, what we found out was that we're actually don't know that much about the tourism industry and that there are there's a huge amount of training needed to be able to do that particular thing. It's a bit uh, of an expertise in itself, is it? Yeah, that, it's a th and especially if you're going to be integrating Lost Rivers information. So we found mm -hmm. that we were asking our River Rising ambassadors to learn five years of university and six weeks of training. <laughs> and it was quite <laughs> wow. challenging, right? Yeah, but, yeah. And it was also a tremendous learning and adventure into diversity and connecting different groups. Um, and certainly I can say for myself as a, you know, older, whiter, settler mm -hmm. type demographic, mm -hmm. there was some very profound moments of learning and connection and pain. Um, and wow. similarly within the groups, you know, there's a lot of different people getting together. It gets interesting. Well, it, you know, and Helen, that's, you know, that is an incredibly amazing uh, experience, right? Because as much as we all walk through life with our own expertise, our own perspectives and our own views, when you take a moment to, you know, put your, you know, put your toolbox down and, and listen what others are doing and their experiences, it's yeah. amazing what we can grow into or, or expand into, isn't it? Yeah, it's, and you know what? It's so fundamental. And I guess I'm going to do a shout out for Paula Messina, who's the executive director of the Green Community and has okay. worked on diversity issues for the environment community since she started. And I think nice. we were even before. Uh, so that's put us in a position where we have a deep understanding and we are a much more diverse organization than I would say almost any other environmental group in the city, uh, for which we can thank, well, all of us, but particularly Paula. And uh, I just don't think that you can really, you can't go ahead and, we cannot be doing environmental work in the way that it's been done in the past. The leadership is actually going to come from yeah. indigenous and newcomer communities. So it's interesting, you know. You, you know what I'm hearing in your in your comment there, Helen, is you know, lost rivers, which is where you start, mm -hmm. lost culture, lost heritage, lost connection, lost community. I mean, you're discovering so many things with within the city of Toronto. Yeah. It's really quite incredible. And the, and then the words rivers rising, I think, are reflecting the idea of turning to the future and hope and reconnecting and and bringing to the surface our awareness of all these multiple things. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I'm hearing some really, really, really good work and, and some things that it sounds like you need to go forward to continue this, this wonderful project, you know, the volunteer support and, and people who can really kind of get into what it is that you're doing with the web and the information and the, and the work that Peter started so, so diligently and so aggressively in his early days of, of the project. Um, you know, there's a, there's an opportunity for people to contribute, whether it's financially or even just as part of a community member. I think that's that's a very very you know um, a noble experience. But it sounds to me, from what you're describing, and and just from my experience in both meeting you and and exploring with what what's available on the website and what's in our communities, I I think the first step for many who haven't even heard of Lost Rivers is to actually get out and walk around and. You know, tell me about that. Like, is that something that with COVID going on and is that something that you see coming back on as guided tours or self-guided? What, what, what's the vision of, of getting back on the streets and walking? So for sure, there's two pieces going on. Um, first of all, as restrictions are lifting, we're actually going to have an internal walk in August where we'll be testing our new COVID protocols just among ourselves and seeing, checking and making sure that we're comfortable, we know how it's going to be. Um, we, and then we have plans to hold walks. Um, we're very grateful the Toronto field naturalists have done a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of de- developing the protocols, and we're following the same. The walks will be pre-registered, limited to 10 people, including two leaders. And we're starting in September. And uh, we're excited, you know, because I think we all miss being out there walking very, very much. But then the second piece is just go online and take one of the guided tours. And there, there are a number on the website uh, on, on the disappearing rivers, we have Ashbridge's Bay, Ashbridge's Creek, and then we also have a Parkdale tour and a Corktown Common tour. And, uh, you know, Parkdale is interesting because it didn't have any lost rivers, but it had a, lost, a lot of lost ponds. And then Corktown is interesting because it's the very oldest part of the city almost. And uh, it did have a lost river, or two or three or four, depending where you were looking. And uh, also has some really interesting uh, present-day blue-green infrastructure developments that have to yeah. do with yeah. the TRCA turning the Don River into a sparkling clean river with living fish and birds. Long way to go. <laughs> but Corkdown Common is an amazing example of what can be done and and it looks like the information on the website is is plentiful in allowing you to do a self-guided tour very easily whether yeah. it's a family tour yeah. or an individual so then with regards to that online registration like with the 10 group limit people can just go on and sort of see as the schedule start being posted i guess there'll be a they'll be able to sort of make a request or register that kind of thing yeah there'll be an eventbrite link and people will click okay. on it. And, yeah. you know, I, I think that we will be shifting to a suggested donation system uh, because we do, we really are having to think about sustainability and the future. 
and uh, we're just we'll have to see how it goes. But I'm personally, I'm really excited that we're we're getting it going again. Well, I have to say, you know, with with everything that we've talked about and and really what you're doing, I, I hope our listeners are are open to providing some support and contribution towards this this amazing, you know, legacy tool and, and information package. I think it's incredible what you're doing for the community. Um, I'm hearing a huge value in, you know, some of our city planners and thinkers to to take advantage of some of this historical touring to understand what's underneath, what what was here before we all started. I mean, there's a huge benefit, and that isn't there. Thanks, Elmar. I really appreciate that you, <laughs> you know, your your interest, and I love hearing how you're seeing how this all fits together. Well, you know, Helen, and I really want to thank you for taking the time to to have this conversation. It's it's really wonderful to be able to share, you know, really what's been your life's work and and you know have people really appreciate what's going on in our community. I I hope we can do this again, if not in the near future, maybe as some of the uh, the walks uh, start emerging and, and hearing what's happening as uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and with that, we'll, we'll wrap up and, and thank you so much.